The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. And so remember, it is your civic responsibility to report all infected individuals to the California Health Commission. This message brought to you by the California Health Commission. <laughs> and now, back to Amazing Bargains. Charlie, with the big question, come on over here. How much? Listen, Mike, we all like to entertain, but in this day and age, how can you trust the folk that enter your home? Got a point they there. They might well be carriers. I know. Can you afford to take that chance? Absolutely not, Charlie. That's why on Amazing Bargains, Mike, we're offering the entire self-protection biological purification kit at a low, low price. Great. How much now? This looks great. You're going to get five pairs of sterile surgical gloves. Five? Good. You're going to get 36 bars of betadine soap. It kills germs on contact. That's important. 36? That's and great. Mike, this beautiful autoclave, it's got the stainless steel pull-out drawer. Wow, what is that for? Mike, it sterilizes every utensil in your home. Great, Charlie. Now, how much now for all this on Amazing Bargains? Mike, if you're bored all of this retail, you can take at least a hundred dollars. Right. But on Amazing Bargains, Mike, everything is just $49.95. $49.95, what do you think? More! More! I'll tell you what I'm going to do, Mike. It's the self-activating front door home protection unit. Oh, what does that do? Mike, this actually sprays and sterilizes every guest that enters your home. Automatically? Complete protection, Mike. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, March 5th, 2020. I'm Bob Metz. And I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be a couple of weeks ago, while I was in conversation with Salim Mansour, Professor Emeritus of Political Science at Western University, I asked him if there were any potential events or issues on the horizon that could seriously alter some of the positive trends we were discussing with regard to Brexit, the European Union, and the booming economy of the United States under the leadership of Donald Trump. Well, the last thing I expected him to bring up in the context of those conversations was the potential consequences of the coronavirus, which originated in China and now appears to be spreading to other areas of the globe. So once again, as has been so often the case with predictions made by Salim over the past decade or more on this show, his prediction seems to have become prophetic, as the news media over the past few weeks seems to have gone coronaviral in spreading fear and panic over a phenomenon the world has experienced in the past and will no doubt do again in the future. So should we be worried, or should we simply remain calm? We'll investigate that question right after reminding you that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org, hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave, follow us on your favorite podcast platform, which presently includes iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. Choose your favorite platform, follow us, and like. And of course, you can always visit us at www.justrightmedia.org, where you can access all of Just Right's social media links and our archive broadcasts. And no matter where or how you listen to Just Right, 
Consider offering your financial support to our efforts by clicking on the relevant PayPal link. By so doing, not only will you become part of our effort to enlighten others about the true nature of freedom and capitalism, but everyone who donates $25 or more will receive a copy of the 52-page full-color publication, Climate Essentials, whose author Dave Plum has appeared several times on past broadcasts of our show. We'll talk more about this development, including the always-evolving issue of climate change, on upcoming shows, but owing to the perceived urgency of a potential coronavirus pandemic, today that discussion demands our attention. Now, of course, there's perhaps nothing more frightening to human beings than the fear of the unknown. With the coronavirus still largely an unknown commodity, this accounts for much of the fear being spread by both the mainstream media and social media alike. Because a number of known cases of coronavirus are still relatively so low, conditions and statistics can change in the blink of an eye, and this will account for many of the discrepancies you might hear over the course of today's show. Between the time of this show's recording and its airing, there's no doubt that many of the stats and facts regarding the coronavirus will change, given the nature of the phenomenon, and as of this March recording, I'm already aware of two deaths attributed to coronavirus having occurred in the United States. Although, as President Trump himself acknowledged after citing America's first death attributed to coronavirus, there will undoubtedly be more cases of the disease as time moves on. So, don't be too surprised if you hear some conflicting stats or observations over the course of today's show, because even as we speak, circumstances are changing, both for the better and for the worse, as our early awareness of this issue begins to unfold. But is there really cause for panic? Are we really looking at a pandemic that can wipe out significant portions of the world's human population? Or is the coronavirus nothing to particularly worry about? We are, in fact, hearing both of these viewpoints being expressed simultaneously, and so it is our hope today that we can at least establish a rational context within which to consider these questions. To that end, Robert Vaughn recently continued the conversation with Salim that began on our earlier broadcast of Just Right, and because of the urgency and significance of this issue's impact on current events around the world, we thought it would be most appropriate to share the highlights of that conversation, originally posted to our own YouTube channel on February 28th. Salim. There's an ancient Chinese proverb, I understand, that says, may you live in interesting times. And I think we live in interesting times. I haven't heard this much chatter about China since uh, Nixon visited there in 72. Uh, since Trump got elected, we've had the China trade agreements. Uh, just recently, of course, we had the uh, coronavirus uh, ominously called coronavirus disease 2019 or COVID-19, almost portending a, uh, a, a series of viruses, uh, COVID-20, COVID-22, who knows. But with the uh, coronavirus, we've seen a massive drop in the uh, Dow Jones and the TSX and uh, stock markets throughout the world as trade is being impeded with this coronavirus. Uh, communication is being impeded via transportation. And um, 
What other things China? You've had uh, Justin Trudeau say that he loves China the most because they can turn things around on a dime. Well, let's see if they turn this thing around on a dime. It's, um, it's beyond biology. It's beyond virology. It's come into politics. Now, with um, a lot of things happening in the political field because of this black swan, I think you've recalled it, this unforeseen, unpredictable event. Uh, I think black swan is a, a financial term, wasn't it? Quoted uh, many years ago by some financial um, stockbroker or something like that, an, an economist who basically said that there are things that happen which nobody can predict, which have dramatic consequences, and this is one of them. What's the political fallout from all of this coronavirus, Salim? Yeah, I mean, let's talk about the politics of coronavirus. I mean, that's what it is. The illness malady or the influenza type flu that people are afraid of is going pandemic is something else. That's the people who are experts in virology and medicine. They can talk about it with some authority, but we can pause and reflect on the politics because it has become politicized now. The whole issue has become politicized. People are now referring to the coronavirus as the black swan. Uh, Nassim Talib, uh, a Lebanese businessman, financier, mathematician, statistician, who in his book, Black Swan, about a decade ago, brought the term into public usage. And what he meant by the metaphor of the black swan is that something that is totally unexpected, had not been foreseen, and so it was not in the realm of any possibility. And when it happens, people don't know how to deal with it, you know. It comes as a shock and a surprise. And that's what he was referring to in the context of the market's ups and downs and the 2007-2008 crash that took place. That was when the term came into usage. And so now it basically refers to anything that was unexpected and improbable striking us in a manner that leaves us not only confused, but searching for answers that create more problems. And that's where the politics comes in, the politics, which what we are now faced with, coronavirus. We don't know fully because China is a closed society. China is a totalitarian society. China hasn't given an explanation of where and how all of this began, but what we little know about it, that is through first the leakage of the news through Hong Kong, and people that were traveling out of China, that is out of Hubei province, uh, Wuhan, that has been collected together. The first patient, the first individual, as a matter of fact, who was identified was way back in December. The doctor who identified it and tried to bring it to the notice, not only the Chinese government, when this matter escalated, Dr. Li Van Leung was, in a sense, quarantined and imprisoned, and later he died. So uh, the man who dealt with this at the first instant is no longer around. So anyhow, this disease sprang out sometime in December. And then the next that we know about it coincides with the Chinese New Year, end of January, beginning of February, when the word went round that the city of Wuhan, the capital of Hubei province, has been put in a quarantine and reports of death started coming in. A city the size of Wuhan, which is about twice the size of Toronto and GTA with 11 million population, you know, bigger than the city of New York or Paris, was shut down. And then eventually the entire Hubei province was shut down with a population of over 50 million people 
quarantine and now it has spread even larger. I believe the Chinese are now putting quarantines in other parts of ages and provinces to Hubei provinces. The traffic has almost come to a standstill. The other countries are now putting, you know, uh, restrictions on people moving out of China and going to places outside of China. But the matter has to some extent already spread. I mean, we are getting news from places like Europe that Italy is the most seriously affected or, or feared to be the most seriously affected. There are reports that, for instance, Saudi Arabia has put a lockdown and stopped any foreign pilgrim, Muslim pilgrim from outside of Saudi Arabia heading to the two holiest cities in Saudi Arabia, the two holy cities of Islam in Mecca and Medina. And so there is a real serious concern how far and how rapidly this will go. But there's also good news um, that I have picked up that a vaccine has been developed by the Israelis and it has been put to test and should be coming into the market pretty soon. The Americans are really up on this matter too, and they are in the process of either getting a vaccine out or expect that it will be out. So all of that is taking place, but let's put it in context, Robert. The mainstream media, and of course the social media, the Twitter and all of these things are now in full flight. And it is a technology that not only gets the word moving fast, but can also get the panic growing and mushrooming, you know, in a manner that we have not foreseen before. But there are some landmark events that we can reflect on. I mean, immediately in my mind comes the almost pandemonium before the millennial clock chain, the Y2K issue, if you recall. There was a panic that the whole world will possibly collapse, you know, if our computer shuts down and, you know, what will happen to our individual account, personal account, data, records, everything is on the computer. And that panic was there and built up and millions of dollars were spent on the assumption to prevent this Y2K pandemonium from taking us over, but none of that happened. Now, was that a fake news? Was that something that was artificially created for a whole new stream of investment? I think a lot of people got very rich on that issue, you know, as they went about talking about the Y2K problem and then getting the funding to deal with that challenge that turned out to be a big dud. A few years later, there was the SARS pandemic, if you remember, the avian flu. That also was a, a coronavirus as well, I understand. Just a different variant. Yeah. A variation, and again, it was avian flu, jumped from the chicken to the human being, from birds to men, and that was a panic, and it hit us in Canada, it hit us in Ontario, you know, in 2003, four, I think it was, and the media ran with the story, but then, as happened with all of these media-fed stories, it faded away, you know, and now it is part of memory that we have to work hard to recall. So what about the political end of this, Celine? Because right now we're talking about, well, the facts. You've, you just went over the details of the facts of the coronavirus uh, leading up to today quite well. But now we have people blaming Trump, for example. Of course, they, they want to call it the Trump virus. But then again, the never-Trumpers and the Trump derangement syndrome people suffering from their own sort of mental virus have seized upon any opportunity they can to disparage President Trump. He can either do too much or too little. He's damned if he does, damned if he doesn't. 
And let, let's speak about the, um, the effect with Trump first, and then let's go to Trudeau after that. Sure. Trump had a press conference in the White House, and he introduced his team, and uh, he's appointed the Vice President Pence to head the task force to deal with this challenge that uh, everyone is faced with. Uh, America, being what America is, has taken the leadership in trying to deal with this uh, immense problem. But it, it won't satisfy his critics, it won't satisfy his political foes, and Senate Minority Leader uh, Chuck Schumer called uh, Trump a towering incompetence, you know. Uh, Nancy Pelosi comes that he doesn't know anything about science and doesn't trust it. Uh, why haven't Trump asked for more money and that Trump had cut back, that his Trump administration has cut back on funding of CDC, that is the uh, Center for Disease Control. Center yeah. for Disease Control. And that has turned out to be a hoax. In fact, financing and the funding of, of CDC under Trump administration has, as a matter of fact, increased. And it is not the administration that earmarks the budget, it is the money that has to come from the Congress, and so ultimately it is Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer that is responsible, Nancy Pelosi as Democratic-controlled house, to raise the fund, you know, and if Trump had said that he needs $10 billion, they would have said, no, that's too little, you know, yet he is behind. So this is the political weaponization of any issue in American politics in the Trump era. But Trump took action a month ago I mean, it was towards the end of January, 29, January 30, that the Trump administration announced a travel ban of people flying out of China. I mean, as the problem was just beginning to surface and people were taking note of it in Hong Kong. But Trump immediately called for a halt on travel and flights coming out of China was being directed differently by the Americans. They were, I'm told, were not being allowed to land in California. They were being sent off to designated cities where they were being prepared. The passengers coming out would be then checked out before being released. So that was way back in January 29. And what was the response, Robert? The response was that here is again, Trump is being, you know, racist. This is a racist administration. They're targeting China. But here you have it. I mean, a country with 330 plus million people and the only uh, the number of cases that have been reported is somewhere in the figure neighborhood of 60 and there's only a handful that have been identified with a uh, with coronavirus that has come out of china and who have been isolated whereas in europe this is a real problem because it's open borders people moving around italy and austria are considered the most seriously endangered or affected area. Uh, it's, a, uh, it's a tough one, but a lot of progress has been made. I want to provide an update to our people, to our citizens, to the world, frankly, on our action to address the coronavirus and those that have been uh, hurt badly by it. At this moment, we have 22 patients in the United States currently that have coronavirus. Unfortunately, one person passed away overnight. She was a wonderful woman, a medically high-risk patient in her late 50s. Four others are very ill. Thankfully, 15 are either recovered fully or they're well on their way to recovery. And in all cases, they've been let go in their home. Additional cases in the United States are likely 
but healthy individuals should be able to fully recover. And we think that will be a statement that we can make with great surety now that we've gotten familiar with this problem. They should be able to recover should they contract the virus. So healthy people, if you're healthy, uh, you will probably uh, go through a process and, and you'll be fine. Since the early stages of the foreign outbreak, my administration has taken the most aggressive action in modern history to confront the spread of this disease. We move very early. That was one of the decisions we made uh, that really turned out to be a, a, a lifesaver, in a sense, big lifesaver. Uh, on January 31st, I imposed travel restrictions on foreign nations who had and anybody that had been to China or people coming out of China. And I want to say that China seems to be making tremendous progress. Uh, their numbers are way down. And uh, if you read, Tim Cook of Apple said that uh, they're now in full operation again in China. Their numbers are way down. Experts now agree that the decision to move so quickly, despite a lot of opposition on that decision, was uh, a wise one. It greatly slowed the spread of the virus to the United States. And it really uh, gave us time to do some of the critical moves that we've done. And it allowed these great professionals to get together and figure it all out. And we think they've done that. Uh, we've taken the most aggressive uh, actions to confront the coronavirus. And they are the most aggressive taken by any country. And we're the number one travel destination anywhere in the world, yet we have far fewer cases of the disease than even countries with much less travel or a much smaller population. So let's review the media's reaction to the Trump coronavirus presser. The sheer volume of things that are not true that have been said by this president and by some of his aides uh, does not inspire credibility. The Trump administration's war on science has left us vulnerable. I found most of what he said a little incoherent. He's surprised that 25,000 to 69,000 people each year die of the flu. Uh, that just tells you how little he actually knows about public health. He just revealed how ignorant he is about the situation. And then there's CNN's ball of hysteria. Brian Stelter tweeting this. Since the dawn of the Trump era, countless experts have warned that the president's lack of credibility would imperil the country in the event of an emergency. As the coronavirus outbreak worsens, those fears may be coming true. That one tweet defines the media's dark desires for something bad to happen so that, so that all of their previous Trump hatred is validated. The fears may be coming true, Brian Wish tweets, relying on the word all CNN's false fantasies bank on, may. Every story that collapses hinges on may. Trump may resign. Trump may not leave office. Avenatti may run for president, Brian. It's a word that provides cover for the press's delusional dreams. And today, that dream is a disease. 
This time, people will surely die, but it will be Trump's fault. And then finally, I will be right and Jeff Zucker will give me a lollipop. It's a diabolical deal, welcoming a grim hell just to say, I told you so. Meanwhile, Gail Collins in the New York Times says, let's call the disease the Trump virus, to which I say, let's rename dementia the New York Times. Yeah, let's just talk about that racism uh, epithet uh, for a moment, Celine, because we heard it here in Canada as well, with government officials basically saying that you cannot disparage the Chinese race, I guess, rather than country, for their eating habits and their hygiene habits uh, or any other aspect which may or may not have led to the uh, spread of this particular virus and it, it, it's almost like the Islamist question you're, you're, you're not allowed to talk about it otherwise you're, you're, you're deemed a racist. Is that the issue of our day that everything boils down to the race issue? Precisely. I mean, this is this is what we are dealing with. I mean, this is the po the political correctness that is totally off the track. You know, if you cannot discuss the problem, if you cannot identify the source, if you cannot understand the cultural matrix within which these things happen, then how are we going to deal with the problem? The fact of the matter is, this thing erupted, emerged in a very specific location, and then we are not getting the uh, news in detail in an open, honest fashion from the Chinese themselves. That is the feature of a communist society, that it is a closed society, it is not an open society. Everything is censored. China has put a lockdown. 70 million people are quarantined. I mean, the specialist tells us that quarantine is not an effective way to dealing with this problem, you know, because then it becomes, you know, incestuous. It is inbreeding, you know, people are affecting themselves. So this is not the way to handle it, but that's what the Chinese have done. This is a totalitarian state, and this is how they deal with their own people. And now you have within Canada, our Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has always been infatuated, as you pointed out very correctly, with the Chinese. You know, he loved the Chinese. He's spoken about the Chinese administration as a model, because, you know, China as a dictatorship, as an authoritarian leadership, can, on a drop of a hat, make decisions, you know, and affect the lives of millions, billions of people. But the fact that they can make decisions, this is the wonder of Mr. Justin Trudeau. And so, you know, we have that situation. We have in, in the American situation, among the handful who are running for the Democratic nomination is Michael Bloomberg, the third or the fourth richest man in the world with um, estimated wealth that somewhere in the neighborhood of $70 billion. And much of that money, maybe two-thirds of that money, has been made in China. And he has been reported as talking about that you don't talk about this with the Chinese in the manner that President Trump has dealt with it. And he, of course, is also another person who is a great admirer of the Chinese society, of the authoritarian leadership. I mean, he has been quoted as saying, you know, China is not a democracy, but that doesn't mean it's not a democracy like ours. The leader and the people are engaged in it. Well, Mr. Bloomberg doesn't know the way the leader and the people are engaged with it is typically, iconically, the way Deng Xiaoping and the Chinese leadership dealt with the students in that Tiananmen Square massacre of June 1989. People have forgotten that, you know, or any number of events that I can talk about, you know, that the Chinese leadership had dealt with the people from Great Leap on 
to cultural revolution, to the famine, you know, the great Mao Zedong was responsible for somewhere around about between 70 and 100 million people. When you, so, when you talk about the massacres that the Communist Party uh, in, in, in China have perpetrated on their people, there have been some videos coming out of that regime, out of that nation, which purport to show police or officials in their hazmat suits, carrying firearms, going into buildings, shooting people or shooting people on the street. There's actually videos of bodies on the street huddled together and dead for failure to obey evacuation orders. Now, whether that's true or not, who's to know? I wouldn't put it past the communist regime, but of course it's, it's very difficult. It's almost like trying to get the truth out of CNN. It's, it's pretty much impossible. And there's also video, Salim, of officials, again in hazmat suits, welding doors shut to tall apartment buildings, where that's one way to keep people contained, is to just make sure that they can't get out of their buildings. Now, whether this is true or not is, is again, hard to say, but that's the politics of it, isn't it, in that communist regime? If, if, if Trudeau is actually enamored by such people, such tactics, such a government, what can we expect here in Canada if, God forbid, that um, it happens here that a lot of people become infected? Well, I mean, for the globalists and those of us who have been talking about globalism and you and I have been talking about globalism, it is for us to really take a closer and closer look at what's happening in China, because this is in a sense a laboratory of the globalists. It is the globalists that have made China the linchpin of the global economy as the center of the supply chain, and, and, and we need to talk about that. But getting back to whether what you have just pointed out is true or not, I, I have no doubt, you know, I've been to China and I've traveled through the inner China, so whatever is China in many senses is a Potemkin village that the people, the tourists, they go to and they see, you know, whether they're visiting Beijing or Shanghai, you know, or, or Canton on the coast. And of course, there has been immense rapid developments over there, you know, China has today its own uh, list of billionaires and multimillionaires who are especially connected to the party leadership. And there has been vast, vast developments that have taken place. But as I say, China is a country of almost 1.5 billion people, and you have to go beyond these coastal mega cities uh, into the interior. And I have traveled in the interior, and I have seen chain gang people you know working as chain gang slaves i mean it is not a it is not a rumor this has been out there that china has for instance got concentration camp going for the uyghur turks in inner china i have been to urumqi i've been to kashgar i've seen what has happened over there and it's happening over there it is frightening and things have become worse you know and you and and the chinese people cannot talk about these things and the interior, with that huge amount of population, the eating habits and cultural characteristics need to be talked about and discussed. This is not about politi being politically correct or blaming the Chinese people. It is about the problem. I'm here holding, and I'll just read a little passage over here. You're holding a report about China. And, and, and the author is listing a few items just to put things in context. The, he's writing, the coronavirus that broke out in China is a black swan event. Nobody saw this virus coming. Yet it shouldn't have been a surprise. China is the world's 
premier incubator of new infectious flu strains. Health experts blame China for the 1918-19 Spanish flu, 1957's Asian flu, the Hong Kong flu of 1968, the Russian flu of 1997, and the more recent SARS outbreak of 2003. So for an epidemiologist, for people who are concerned about these things, we have to know what is the eating habit, what is the food chain, what is the supply chain, you know. The first identified victim of coronavirus, it has been now identified, did not pick up this virus in the meat market, vegetable market of Wuhan outside 12 mile or 20 kilometer outside of Wuhan. But Wuhan is also the only city in China that has stage four lab for virology that has been you know, cultivating all these various strains of viruses for various experimental purposes, including possibly biological and germ warfare. Now, the speculation is, how did this man come into contact with this virus? If the argument, nobody has yet made that it is possibly that, you know, the man came into this contact with this virus that was possibly purposely released or escaped or in somehow it got out from this stage four lab in Wuhan. It wasn't picked up in the uh, market where the virus went from animal to man. But it is also known that the Chinese eating habit includes all sorts of animals that we don't eat, including dogs and snakes and rabbits and, and, and anything that walks. Now, this is not we trying to... In, okay, if you eat rabbit, but I'm talking about I included it, but you know, I mean, I don't think you eat dogs. No, nor bats, <laughs> nor bats, nor some of the insects and other yeah. creatures there. And I understand as well, Celine, that they fertilize their crops with human waste, which is certainly something that would not pass muster here in Canada, I'm, I can assure you. So, so the thing is that the, that the, the people, uh, 1.5 billion people have to survive. They have to eat. And their eating habits, their food cuisine is something vastly different from other cultures. And we have to know about this and we have to talk about this, not as an insult to the Chinese people or the Chinese culture, but in terms of understanding where and how all of this has happened and is happening. That's the fourth cough. What are you people gonna do something? Well, you hit 911 any minute now, okay? Everyone stay where you are. The facility is under stage one quarantine. Which one? It's not the kill, damn it! Look at my skin! Look at my eyes! Stop right there! You're in the other way! Stop! Make it worse than you can't do that to me! He was just a crap! 
What is patient zero? First known carrier of a disease, the origin of an epidemic. told you asked for entry. Why are you here? Who sent you? No one. We were chasing after our friend. Your people took her. She has the cue. She belongs here. Is this a protection zone? Hardly. You don't know where you are? No. She's about to go red-eye. Red-eye? What does that mean? Final stage. Terminal. Terminal? How long does she have? Each case is different. She seems to be on the fast track. I think I'm dying, Quinn. There are things I should have told you a long time ago. Take her to 17. <clears throat> Mr. Mallory, I have seen slaughterhouses that look more hygienic. That man over there, what qualification does he have as a medical practitioner? What can he do for her? He can only help alleviate her suffering. He's taking a huge chance just being here. He could be jailed if the Board of Health found out. How long have you been doing this? Since my escape. At least here, people are allowed to live out their final days with dignity. The protection camps are worse than a living death. You have been there? Briefly. I was a medical student. I volunteered to be a lab subject to help out this doctor, Darren Morton, one of our foremost researchers. He gave me the cue, swore I was all right, and released me into the population. Wait a minute. The government infected you? I became patient zero. Dodging from one quarantine zone to another. Now the ones who are really accountable are the ones who make the policy. The quarantines, protection zones. The rich live in sanitary conditions while the poor get sick and die. You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. But coming back to the more serious issue about this, more serious than the coronavirus in the sense of the consequences or the unintended consequences of uh, this black swan event is what it is now doing to the global economy. It's creating a great buying atmosphere, as <laughs> that's what it's doing. I was looking at stocks today, looking for some good buys. But then again, that's one side of the equation. The other side is that over, I don't know, several trillions of dollars was lost on paper in this last week. Precisely. I mean, there has been the Dow Jones and the other markets have shown a huge drop, a big drop, you know. I mean, one of the factors about this politicization of the coronavirus is that this is also the election year in America. And the Democrats and their cohorts and the mainstream media, the corporate media and the academia and elsewhere would love to see that the first victim of uh, coronavirus beat Trump himself, that he goes down in this, you know. They have tried everything to get him down with, you know. Mm -hmm. 
accusing him of Russia, 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 the Russian collusion. That for almost three years they ran with it, and you know they brought impeachment upon him, and all of that. They felt that there was no Russia impeachment. Mueller found nothing in it. Then it became the Ukraine issue, and the Ukraine, 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 and impeachment, and and so on. And that turned out to be a big dud. There was nothing in it. But they are up and ready to run with just about anything. And the economy, Salim, is usually one of those indicators in presidential elections that you won't find uh, any president being defeated when there is a great booming economy for which he's uh, attributed, you know, the, and that is exactly what, is, what Trump is happening. And now all of a sudden, lo and behold, in an election year, coincidentally, we have this huge drop in the market from this coronavirus. So yes, I mean, there's all sorts of angles over here. You have Michael Bloomberg, whose money uh, was made in China, and you have President Trump, right from the starting gate, had made China one of the key issues of his administration in, in turning around the trade agreements that were all basically one-sided trade agreement with China. Uh, America was running huge, massive, over half a billion dollar annually trade deficit with China. And as, as President Trump has said, you know, this was the largest ripoff in the past almost three decades of uh, de-industrializing America, taking entire factories out of America to China, you know, and he made that into an issue and started raising the tariffs, started, you know, talking about moving America out of the supply chain with China, bringing back American factories back home into the mainland, and also encouraging the other Pacific region countries to start moving into taking over from the Chinese monopoly of becoming factors in the supply chain of modern economics. But getting back to the supply chain, I mean, the Chinese economy started imploding once the SARS crisis evolved. And the Chinese economy hasn't come down to its full operation. It is now over or almost a month since their lunar year holiday and they're not up to speed. I mean, the figures that we are observing and watching and talking about is that the Chinese economy is performing somewhere in the 40-50% range and it could be slowing down even further. And if the Chinese economy slows down, the domino effect is right across. Now, with President Trump, having taken the actions that he took over the last three years, he in some sense, ironically, insulated the American economy from the effects of the coronavirus. But nobody's going to give him credit for that. Yes. Bloomberg is not going to give him credit. The mainstream media is not going to give him credit. And of course, the Democrats are not going to give him credit, you know. In fact, it's the opposite, that he was hurting the world economy. And that's been the talk of the town. But look at it. Walmart, Apple, the garment trade, and all of that linked with it. All of these had parked their investment in China and bringing into the, the North American market. You know, we Canadians are as much affected. And the reports are, the recent reports are, Wall Street Journal is reporting it, and I have all of them in my hand right here, that 
the container ships are leaving Chinese port with barely some some of them with barely 10% of the capacity filled. Now, what does that say to us? What it says to us is very rapidly because these were not only on-time inventory supplies and on the on the manufacturing time again on-time inventory delivery that our inventory in North America is running down very fast and we are going to get into bottleneck and those of us all of us who have over this past 20-25 years gotten hooked to the idea going to Dollarama and picking up for a dollar or a dollar fifty or two dollars whatever it is you know from soap to toothpaste to medicine, 50% of generic drugs come out of China and the other 40, 40%, 80% of generic drugs are manufactured in China and India. So medicine, we're going to be, we're already in some ways into bottleneck and we're going to see that the shelves in Walmart and Dollarama across North America running low on goods, which will then have its own domino effect as people run scared and start hoarding. So instead yeah. of trying to be, you know, uh, more rational and not panic and stop hoarding, when people start hoarding, that will again, I, I think people have already started hoarding, that will again have a immense, you know, domino effect on what is available and what is the inventory. That will lead to inflationary effect and uh, price of goods will start escalating. I mean, you can already see that, you know, if you go for your, your grocery, what a month ago, that is last Christmas, what you could buy for $10 now costs anywhere between 25 and $30. I see that every day in the bills that I'm paying, you know, and I'm, you know, all of us, we can look into this matter. So the Chinese economy, which had grown in the last 30 years from a basically a third world economy to the center of the world economy that had basically come closer and closer uh, and, and the supply chain had developed and Chinese economy had gone into becoming the world's second largest economy. If this, and it's not a question of if, it is happening, this start slowing down and imploding as we see happening, the downstream effect will affect all of us. Our country is prepared for any circumstance. We hope it's not going to be a major circumstance. It'll be a smaller circumstance. But whatever the circumstances, we're prepared. And I'd like to just ask and uh, caution that the media we would respectfully ask the media and politicians and everybody else involved not do anything to incite a panic because there's no reason to panic at all nobody knows anything dana nope so let's politicize it. Yeah. And if you look back in history, we've known that this is going to happen again. That's yeah. why you have public health. That's why you have doctors who are dedicated primarily to dealing with flus and coronaviruses like this. Yeah. You know, Emily, uh, one of the people in the montage was Ezekiel. Ezekiel was, was bashing Trump because he did. He was surprised how many people died from the flu every year. 
everybody is surprised by how many people die of the flu because the, everybody's so used to it. Is that just, does that mean that, that Trump's some kind of idiot that it lacks credibility? Well, not to me. And I think, you know, first of all, the president is damned if he does and damned if yeah. he doesn't. So no matter what he says, everyone in the commentary is going to have that ridiculous reaction. And I think in things that actually matter, which is this, public health and actually, you know, a, a, a threat of an actual fatality, then exasperation leads to zero tolerance. Mm -hmm. So when, when the Russia, 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 and everything in the last three years that we've been fed by CNN, and MSNBC and everything else and those commentators, you know, oh, fine, here, here we go again. Yes, everything is his fault. But when it's something like this, where actually the public needs true, reliant information, no one's going to watch that. Yeah. And by the way, when I went to Walgreens earlier to stock up on an antiseptic hand gel and everything, yeah. um, it was all gone from the shelves. Ooh. Everything, including... Um, Temperature takers, what are those called? Thermometers. Thermometers. <laughs> Thermometers. And now, by the way, don't forget, so yes. corona, um, SARS, which is a coronavirus, yes. more deadly than COVID, this one, 19, uh, was reduced 30 to 50% in transmission simply by hand washing. Mm. So there are little things like that, that as usual, we have people who are putting their own hatred of the president over disseminating simple, actual facts that will help all of us. So I just wash my hands like homicide style now, like oh. up to the elbow. Yeah, like Alan Alda and MASH, when they would just sit there for yes. 10 minutes and do a scene. <laughs> So there's a, a lesson, there's a lesson, Celine, to be learned from this black swan event then, I guess. And we'll probably come out stronger for it, even though obviously some people are going to be dying because of it. But that would be that economically, politically, we should never rely on a single foreign nation for so much of our economy. We have to spread our economy out amongst other areas and nations if if we are going to, you know, uh, survive such another black swan effect. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. And it, it raises the whole uh, issue of globalism in, in newer and newer dimension. I mean, what does it mean for a borderless world? We just talked about Europe. Mm -hmm. Europe is heavily dependent upon China. The, the whole issue, for instance, just take one industry that I would point out and the ripple effect of that industry, that is the auto industry, which is in, in some ways is the engine of a modern economy, especially an advanced economy like, you know, the European economy, German economy or American economy, Japanese economy. Last year, according to Wall Street Journal, Daimler-Benz sold over 700,000 cars to ch the Chinese market. It was expected that they would at least, you know, this year double that sales figure. But it is not simply the issue of doubling that sales figure. Daimler-Benz is heavily dependent on the supply chain from China. That is the auto parts coming from China into Europe. And Daimler is one of the principal, uh, you know, uh, auto industry that uh, has its auto part manufacturing as is ours in, in, in Canada or in the United States, which Trump has been changing over the past three years, but in the case of Daimler in China. Now, what does this say about Daimler brands for this fiscal year for themselves and everybody else that is connected with Daimler brands manufacturing, you know, plastic manufacturers, leather manufacturers that will be supplying to Daimler-Benz. And if Daimler-Benz cannot manufacture the car because or cannot manufacture in, in, in the sense of 
getting their their parts coming in from China and start laying off people because they have to you know cut back on production. So the ripple effect, as I'm saying, with just one industry, and then you magnify that, and you can see what is happening. Apple is already saying that their first quarter, second quarter business is going to be down because Apple's manufacturing is all located in China, heavily located in China. Now here it is. Why did over the past quarter century did we in North America in particular, the Americans and the Canadian, go almost full Monty with the Chinese? When we know that this country, that this system, this communist system is not reliable, is not open, that we do not have the information, and that it lives on the decision of a handful of people and ultimately the ultimate leader, whether it was Mao Zedong, Deng Xiaoping, and now Xi Jinping. You know, so knowing all of that, our wise people, the leaders, the business oligarch, they made the decision to go with China. They invested in China. They made their bets with China. And of course, they made their money with China. But now comes, in a sense, the price that we have to pay, the cost. It, it so happened that this is now the Black Swan event is the coronavirus, but it could have been any number of events. It could have been an event that could have escalated in a war in the region with the Chinese involved, you know, and in a nuclear power country. So, and the Chinese had their own ambition. But with this coronavirus and what the long-term and the short-term effect is going to be, I think that ambition has to be laid to rest. The Chinese ambition was and has been since Deng Xiaoping, that is, after the Tiananmen mass massacre, that is from the 1980s, when Deng Xiaoping took over the Chinese government and turned around China into becoming a communist party, but engaged with a capitalist system of production, led to this massive, massive development in China, triggered by and supported by Western powers. The whole idea that we basically turned our backs upon is that the Chinese were doing this with their own ambition to become a world power by the year 2049, which would mark the 100th anniversary of their revolution. This is what in, within China, this is the coded message of the Chinese leadership that they are engaged in a 100-year marathon. The 100-year marathon is 1949-2049, and that China would and will become the number one country. So it comes back to haunt me with that, that famous saying of uh, Vladimir Ilyich Lenin, that the capitalists will sell the rope to hang themselves with. If, if, we, if we calm down and look upon this, there are lessons to be drawn. Mm -hmm. One of the lessons is, that we have to rethink. Those people who have been pushing the globalist agenda, they have to rethink it. And those of us who have been opposed to this, we have to make people understand it, that the answer is not a borderless world, you know? In a borderless world, nobody's accountable, nobody's responsible, and the people who are going to benefit out of this will be the people at the apex who will take the cream and walk away. It's the Michael Bloomberg's and the Jeff Bezos and the George Soros of this world of ours, you know. So the people who are blaming Trump and holding Trump responsible, we should pause and turn back and look that actually 
in some ways, once Trump is gone, people will recognize that he was prophetic. He was a guy who was turning the ship around and bringing us back to think about our nation state, our political system, our responsibility and decision, you know. And the bargain that we were making with China was a hell's bargain, you know. China has to go through its own evolution. China has to become an open society. China has to become a responsible and accountable political system to their own people. A people, a country and a culture that treats its own people in the manner in which a totalitarian society treat their people cannot be trusted, period. And I think that's the lesson. The other lesson I think about is that a lot of this, as it has been politicized, is a lot of it is fake news, you know, you know, because we don't have the full yeah. picture against which to make a judgment. So we shouldn't panic. We should not disarm ourselves from the seriousness of the issue. But at the same time, an open society, a free society can always quickly adjust unlike a totalitarian society, adjust to find the remedy to the black swan events. So, I mean, we have the news that a free and open country like Israel has immediately adjusted to find a remedy for this black swan event. Mm -hmm. And we are getting the word also from America that they are rapidly testing vaccine to deal with this situation. And that we as humans, we will always have some new form of disease, some new virus that will strike us. And But each of us are responsible. I mean, it, it's, Robert, it simply befuddles our mind that on these issues, I walk into my university, I walk into the washroom in my university, and this is, we are a G7 country. We're not China or India or some African third world country. And I walk in there and I see plastered on the wall instructions to our kids how to wash their hands, how to clean themselves before they walk out. Haven't they learned that? Mm -hmm. The simplest thing is personal hygiene. Yeah, I think, Salim, another thing to take from this is that um, with enough of these black swan events, I think that we'll probably end up being able to predict them in the future. And of course, that's a, a bit of I, a, an irony because the nature of a black swan is that it's not predictable. We have to leave it there, Salim, but thank you, you again. No, I, 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 want to, I want to make the observation. If you can predict something, then it is no longer black swan. <laughs> yes. Thank <laughs> you, Salim. That is the very feature of black swan. <laughs> Take care. Thank you. Thank you. And on that note, don't forget to wash your hands before joining us again next week when we will continue our journey in the right direction. So until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. Anything? Quite extraordinary. Landstrom postulated that there were two kinds of virus.
positive and negative. The negative we already know about. Yeah, like flu, rabies, that kind of stuff. But she also believed that there were positive viral strains which actually made human beings feel better. Such as? Well, at a very basic level, she predicted a kind of reverse flu, a strain of virus which promotes an unaccountable feeling of well-being and happiness. That's happened to me. My life's been turned into complete and utter crud, and I've woken up in the morning feeling good for no apparent reason. The chances are, sir, that on those occasions you had unwittingly contracted Landstrom's virus. According to her notes, 20th century DJs suffered from it all the time. <laughs> so what's in the tubes? Landstrom claims to have isolated several strains of positive virus. Inspiration, charisma, sexual magnetism. Sexual magnetism's a virus? Mm -hmm. Well, give it to a hospital, I'm a terminal case. <laughs>